Diamond Club Baseball has produced elite athletes for 10 years now and is even trusted by your Colorado Rockies to run their scout team program. Diamond Club is based right here in Denver, and their goal is to treat player development just like it's a minor league organization so that your child can be set up for the ultimate success. Everyone works together to make sure that everyone's getting the proper instruction that they need to help youth athletes grow and to become great ball players yet enjoy the game. That's why I have my son playing with Diamond Club because it's it's a great way to really show them they're, they're learning baseball the right way. That was Sean. As he mentioned, his son plays on a Diamond Club team. They offer multiple summer camps, private lessons, high school teams, and youth competitive teams. Plus, their prices are more affordable than their competition. Diamond Club has very fair price. You know, when you kind of pay and know that all fees for the tournaments, fields, uniforms, and instruction are taken care of, as well as getting access to some of the things that other programs don't offer, like entire team instruction and fitness programs, you know, the whole package to really make sure that a ball player ends up a well-rounded youth athlete. Believe us when we tell you that after experiencing the knowledge, positive attitude, work ethic, and fun that their summer camps provide, your child will want to play on one of their teams. Check out diamondclubbaseball.net today to learn more. Broncos country is sitting in the south stands, drinking the curves from mile high. The best part of the weekend, hugging the perfect stranger as they become a friend, having a good time when the orange and blue WIN. Welcome, welcome, welcome into the BSM Broncos podcast on this Tuesday edition. Henry, it's Henry Chisholm and Zach Stevens riding with you guys today. Henry, it finally feels like summer here in Denver, Colorado. It does, doesn't it? It's been a nice couple of days. Like after all those storms, I don't know. I'm just so excited to be able to go outside and not worry about hail. So you, you're not a storm guy. Um, I mean, they're fun sometimes, like up, up in the apartment, there's like a, there's a gym on the top floor. Mm. So if you can like look out while you're working out yeah. and like see the storm, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. But I'm more of a like go outside and do something kind of person. Mm. And the storm really doesn't work with that. That's kind of Denver is, is outdoor people wanting to be outside. So yeah. What, what do we have? It was like five straight days of, it looked like Seattle's weather when you looked at yeah. uh, your weather on your phone. Yeah, it was awful. Like, you go outside, and it's just another three-hour thunderstorm. <laughs> it's terrible. Because, like, I, I understand that in Denver, you, you get, like, a bunch of thunderstorms, but they're all, like, 10, 15 minutes. Right. Just, like, at two at, or three every day. Exactly. And then it just moves on. Exactly. Yeah. But it wasn't moving on, and you're just stuck it's, all day. It's really funny when these thunderstorms that have come in in the afternoon, everyone on Twitter, all the Broncos people, they're saying, oh, Let's see if Vic Fangio is going to like this when this rolls in during his <laughs> afternoon practice. Yeah. Everyone's so up in arms about the afternoon practices. Yeah, I mean, that just isn't a good idea. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I understand wanting to play at the same time, like practice, play, same time, get mm -hmm. into a rhythm. Mm -hmm. But do, do you really want to be 
practicing in a thunderstorm or practicing indoors because there's a thunderstorm. It just uh, probably not, especially when you have thousands of fans on the hill. But the the funny thing is, I don't think Vic Fangio's been here to see these thunderstorms because the Broncos stopped practicing. Uh, about three weeks ago, and there really weren't thunderstorms then. Now they've rolled in since it's June, since it's that summer. And Vic hasn't been in Denver. He, no. <laughs> he, he's been he's been around the country, so he probably doesn't even know these are going to happen no. until that first one comes around. He just has no idea. I mean, uh, for me, I just moved down here, and I got a little taste of it last summer too, I guess. But the concept that every day at 2.30 or 3 <laughs> yeah. or whatever time it is, there's just a thunderstorm. It's like a clock here. Right. Like you're sitting in the office trying to get yep. some work done, like throw up an audio story or something, <laughs> look out the window, and you see a thunderstorm. You just think, oh, like two hours left in the workday. Like that's what that means. Yep. yep. It's, it's a weird concept. <laughs> exactly. And people are probably like, ah, Denver, it snows all the time, thunderstorms every day during the summer. But it's really not like that. It, it's not as... People just think Colorado weather is so much more extreme than it is. Yeah. No, the thunderstorms last like 15 minutes. Yep. And then you get like a couple big snowstorms every year, but yep. it's just a couple. It's not like up in Montana where it's once a week you get some crazy snowstorm and yeah, and it shuts everything shuts, down. Shuts I, everything. I, down. I can only imagine. Well, speaking of Vic Fangio, let's let's dive into the news of the day yesterday. But before we do, let me tell you about Elixinol, which is the uh, the presenting sponsor for the BSM Broncos podcast. And don't take our word on Elixinol. Take former Broncos quarterback Jake Plummer's word on it. Plummer is a huge fan of Elixinol's Hemp Balm, a topical pain reliever that is just one of Elixinol's many great non-THC products. What's more, 5% of your purchase goes to a nonprofit of your choice. So visit Elixinol.com to get yours today. All right, Henry, like I said, uh, Vic Fangio and yesterday's news, of course, Pat Boland's private funeral was held not too far from here in downtown Denver. Tons of people there. Over 500 people were in attendance. Lots of friends, a lot of family. And Henry, I could not believe just how many huge faces there were there. I mean, I expected to see, I expected to see Peyton. I expected to see John Elway. I expected to see Mike Shanahan. You know, the guys that are local, the guys that are really connected with the team, the guys that are really connected with uh, with Pat Bolin throughout his career. But I couldn't tell you. The, the list that I had was so much longer than I was expecting. It was like, it was like a, a celebrity show. Yeah, when you say that, I've kind of flashed back. Remember when Johnny Bolin got the DUI and said he's the blood of the city? Yep. Yeah, I mean he's not wrong. <laughs> like, like he's the blood of the city. I'm right. not sure that if I were him, I would have been pulling that card <laughs> right. in that moment. Right. But no, like seriously, Pat Bowen, the Broncos—that's what the city's all about. You're ex- you're exactly right, and that's why it, it was very much a secret of where this private funeral was until after the fact. Um, and the Broncos made it very clear: don't don't let this get out because if it would have gotten out, not just where. The funeral was but people knowing just who was going to be there yeah. the streets would have been shut down even more so than they were so let me just go through these names you, you had uh three owners there that at least i saw uh jerry jones the biggest name mm-hmm. uh arthur blank with the falcons mm-hmm. and jim ursay jim ursay uh everyone else is pulling up uh the the Bolin family set up a lot of uh, shuttle buses to bring people. So a lot of people are showing up in shuttle buses. Uh, a lot of people showed up in, 
you know, black SUVs. John Elway oh, yeah. was in his classic white SUV. Uh, and Jim Irsay, the only person to show up in an extremely stretched limo. The only one with that crew, I would have expected the only at one. least a few of them. Yep, and I I didn't see Jerry Jones walk in. I saw him come out, but Jerry doesn't travel around in a limo. Do you know what he travels in? What does he travel in? He travels in the Jerry bus, is what they call it, and it is it is a it's those buses that celebrity or, or that. Uh, bands and artists travel in the huge buses it has the the dallas cowboys star on it of course and i don't know if he he, i can't imagine he travels from dallas to denver in that i'm sure he flies but everywhere he goes at the combine he sends the bus there and that's that's where a, a a lot of his business happens is on that bus so if you ever see the the star the dallas cowboys star bus Jerry's probably on it. Do you think he only has one of those? It's a good question. Because he might just have a few that he sends around, or maybe he even just like keeps one part. Like Boy. maybe he's a guy who goes out to Vegas quite a bit and just leaves one in Vegas. That'd be smart. He has yeah. ten of them just roaming, and then yeah. also throws people off their course. How much do you think it would cost for me to get a Henry bus? Mm, are, is it going to be pimped out as much as the Jerry bus on the inside? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, probably, probably more than you and I will make in five years combined. Yeah. Hopefully we gotta get Brandon on like the investing stuff. Exactly. He's like, okay, I can make the bus happen. You just won't get paid for 10 years. How's that sound? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds like, that sounds like it. Uh, and, and man, so, so Jerry was there. Those were the owners I saw. Then you had Mike Shanahan, Vic Fangio, Gary Kubiak. So really, every coach that's been here for the past, what, three decades? Except, of course, for Josh McDaniels. Yeah, I wonder why he wasn't invited. Yeah, weird, huh? Huh. I don't know if he would have been too welcome. Somebody should dig into that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then in terms of former players... You had a ton. This is just a, a, a few of the names on the list. Steve Atwater, Floyd Little, Champ Bailey, Ed McCaffrey, Terrell Davis, Tom Jackson. The list just, just kept going of former players. And remember, this is, you know, a, a funeral where it's friends and family. So there, there's so many other people here at a beautiful cathedral, the Bolin family. Um, did it 100% the right way. It, it was a, a beautiful cathedral that they that they had. Uh, unfortunately, media, it was private, so media wasn't allowed in. John Finney, who is Pat's longtime friend, lives in Hawaii, where Pat spent much of his time, gave the eulogy uh, and ended with, this one's for Pat. So a very fitting uh, way for, for that eulogy to go. I believe most, if not all of his seven children spoke at some time during the service as well. Wow. Well, and Mike Kliss reported last night that after the funeral, Mike Shanahan invited a bunch of the former coaches and former players and people who worked in the Broncos front office and all over. Uh, he invited them all back to his house. Mm-hmm. And apparently they all just hung out mm-hmm. and told stories about Pat yeah, yeah. I mean, how how cool is that? And that's something that Shanahan does occasionally. Is he has a huge, huge house? Oh, I'm sure. And and he, I mean, like it makes huge houses seem small. But does he have a bus? Oh, 
I don't know if he has a Shanahan bus. Maybe he needs that head coach money to come in. Yeah. Or I guess I guess that's owner money. That's owner to money. come in in order to have the bus. But uh, he does that occasionally. And the stories that that come, or I guess the stories that people say they can't tell that that come from those uh, parties are, are just awesome. It seems like such a good time. Uh, so that that's really cool that that Mike did that. I think there was a, a post party before that party at that Cherry Hills Country Club, which is on the way to, to Mike's house. So um, just just a, a, a very good celebration of life um, for Pat and Johnny. You, you mentioned Johnny Bolin. He led the family out of the cathedral yesterday carrying Pat's uh, urn. Um, and the family was wearing some Hawaiian flowers, so very much embracing the Hawaiian theme because Pat loved that so much. And today, actually, the uh, Pat and I believe the entire family is headed back to Hawaii on Pat's private jet, uh, where later this week they will spread his ashes off Waikiki Beach um, in in the canoes that Pat loves so much to take out with uh, with not only his buddies, but he brought his players out there. During the Pro Bowl, they would go canoeing, uh, and John told the story last week that Pat, Pat brought John out canoeing a few times and then John flipped the canoe and Pat said, Nope, Nope, <laughs> we're not doing this again until you're done playing. Uh, so it, 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 it's obviously a sad time, but a time that everyone knew was coming eventually. And I think the Broncos and the Bolin family have just done such a good job, uh, these past 10 days of really celebrating Pat's life. Yeah, I agree. It's been it's been so positive. Mm-hmm. Like from everybody inside the family, everybody in the media, the fans, everybody's just been so supportive. I mean, they they hold the whatever they called it, the tribute at the Broncos stadium mm-hmm. and had to keep it open an extra 2 hours because yeah. there were still people in line to get in. Yeah. Like that's that's what Pat Boland deserved. Yeah. It it's absolutely what he deserved and it's what he would have done. He would have done everything for the fans. Now, would he have wanted his own tribute? No, cer- certainly <laughs> not. But he, what he wanted, what he would have wanted to do was something for the fans. So, um, great, great job just these past ten days. All right, Henry, to the football field where okay. one guy has. I, I don't, it's the most bizarre thing to me. He may be the most polarizing figure on this football team. And it just baffles my mind. I mean, I feel like I'm talking about Joe Flacco or I don't even know who, who else would be polarizing, but it's Deshaun Hamilton. And it blows my mind because I'm on Deshaun Hamilton's train. Uh, I, I, I love the direction he's trending, but a lot of people in this town are just over him. Over him. It feel like they were burned by him last year what's your take on Deshaun I mean uh, hasn't it been established that receivers take a while to develop isn't that just known as one of the positions where you don't step in right away and become super productive and that's exactly what I was saying last year when people were saying Cortland Sutton especially in training camp when he was bawling out of control and it was like okay he, he is bawling out of control I see it with my own eyes every single day but receivers take a long time. I mean, it is rare to have a 1,000-yard rookie receiver. It is so difficult to find a rookie receiver that's consistent uh, as a first-round pick, let alone a second-round pick like Cortland was, 
and let alone a fourth round pick like Deshaun was. So I think I think that is a fantastic place to start when you talk about any rookie, especially a fourth round guy, is let's not just look at him this year. Let's take a step back. What were realistic expectations last year? And as a rookie, you, you make a great point. Yeah. I mean, unless unless it's a burner, some guy who's just running like four threes who you're trying to get open over the top or to use as a gadget guy and get him right. in space, you really can't expect a fourth-round rookie receiver to contribute almost at all. Right. And so, especially for a guy like Deshaun Hamilton, who he's he's a route runner. His whole thing is that he can, like, he has the feet to get open. Mm-hmm. And in college... The competition is so much different, and I think that's why receivers have so much trouble adjusting the NFL, that they're all just better athletes than the guys they're lining up against. And so there's no reason those, like, when when Emmanuel Sanders is spending a half hour getting one little cut right so that he can beat a corner, like, that's what it takes to beat NFL corners. Right. Whereas to beat college corners, if you're a guy who's going to the NFL, playing a bunch of guys who aren't going to the NFL, you can run by them. And then after you run by them, they'll stay over the top, and you can cut out in front of them. And it's just so much easier. When, it, when, when the difference between good players and bad players at cornerback and receiver becomes so tight, it takes time to not, not just to refine the route running, but to learn how to refine it. It's, it's not easy. It's not one of those things where you just do it over and over again. You have to understand how to throw the corner off. It's just all, these, all this tricky minutia that... It takes time to learn. And I think that's exactly why people feel a little burned by Deshaun. Is what was the word coming out of, of, of OTAs in the offseason last year? It was Deshaun Hamilton is this crisp route runner. He's he's ready for the NFL right now. I mean, that's what Vance was saying. That's what Bill Musgrave was saying. Uh that that's what the receiver, his fellow receivers, DT and Emmanuel were saying. They're saying this kid knows how to run routes. He's as ready for the NFL as any receiver. So then going into training camp, everyone thought, holy cow. And during this summer break like we have now where no one has anything to talk about, mm-hmm. everyone's talking about, wait, should we be focused on Deshaun Hamilton to kind of be the third receiver this year and Cortland Sutton can be more of a project going into next year and, the, and then he can develop and truly take on the DT role when DT's gone this year? And uh, everyone got their expectations, I think, just way too high. They did. Because they lost sight that this was a fourth-round pick. This was a rookie. And this was a guy who, in training camp, he's getting most of his reps with the second team, with Paxton Lynch at that point in time. (laughs) I mean, and and Uh, Chad Kelly. Those are the guys who he was getting his reps with. And then, so when the season came around, people just, especially when... uh, DT was traded. They just expect him to step up. And how freaking difficult is that? Yeah, well, when you think back to last summer, and what was everybody saying about Case Keenum? He was going to be the savior. Yeah. Like, Cortland Sutton's doing all that crazy stuff, too, in training camp. Yeah. Like, but, but there was so much positivity coming out about the offense. And honestly, I mean, it just, it just wasn't true. That's, that might be what I remember Vance Joseph for. All this positivity saying this guy's great, this guy's great, this guy's great. Like 
no, they aren't, and that's fine. Right. <laughs> just, right. But, but he just pumped everything up. Isn't it really quick? Isn't it refreshing when Vic Fangio says a comment about someone like Bradley Chubb? He he's been really high on, and you're like, oh, you know what? I can take that and feel comfortable that I can trust Bradley Chubb. Yeah, this that's year. meaningful. Exactly, because it's not everyone's been great. Yeah, and I mean, if we think about who Vic Fangio has singled out. Like who has that really been? Like there's Bradley Chubb. Yep. Uh, I I I can't even name that many. I I don't know. He's just been so tough to read. You're going to have Joe Flacco. He he's probably always going to back Joe Flacco because he knows for PR stance he yeah. has to. Uh, but right now, it's been those two guys that that have really got the confidence of Vic. Yeah, and I mean it just seems so much healthier because because what did all of that hype do to Deshaun Hamilton right now everybody's just disappointed that he didn't live up to what whether it was Vance Joseph or other guys on his coaching staff or uh like Case Keenum had a tendency to be a little over positive himself (laughs) Um, but but now Deshaun Hamilton has to live with half of Broncos country being mad at him right because he played like a fourth round rookie receiver probably should or no he he outperformed what a fourth round yep. rookie receiver should do yep e- exactly going into the final four weeks of the season he was a backup rookie fourth round receiver i think he had three catches going into the final few weeks of the season and it's because the broncos had Demarius Thomas, a future Ring of Famer. Emmanuel Sanders, potentially a future Ring of Famer. Uh, and Cortland Sutton, this young, hot gun. that that And so Deshaun never saw the field. That's not his fault. Yeah, and so they have those three. Plus they have Phil Lindsay. Right. But they don't have an offensive line or a quarterback. Right. <laughs> like It's not like one of the Peyton Manning offenses exactly. where there's room to spread the ball around and the fourth receiver is going to have a role. Exactly. Exactly. So what? What's he do the final four weeks of the season? He comes in has twenty five catches. Let's let's break that down. That is almost seven catches a game over the course of a sixteen week season or sixteen year or say yeah sixteen week season. That is one hundred catches. Now it's only for seven hundred and seventy yards is what it would have uh, equated to. But come on, you would take you would take that in Deshaun's prime. Yeah. Let alone for the first four games he starts, his rookie season, uh, when the team is playing without Phillip Lindsay for, for some of that, so they can do absolutely nothing on offense. I mean, the offense was bad last year. The offense was atrocious the final four weeks of the season. So, to me, I love where Deshaun Hamilton projects. And am I saying he's the next Antonio Brown? Of course not. But am I saying that there's a competition and that there's a question on who the third receiver is on this team? Absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Especially because he profiles so well as a third receiver. Right. And it's it's not like it's not like you're shoving a guy who's supposed to be like the deep threat down there. Like he's the route runner. He's he's not Wes Welker. Right. He's not Brandon Stokely. Right. But I mean, that's supposed to be sort of who he will be it'll be interesting to see how what he turns into but the competition for that third spot is with tim patrick 
And mm-hmm. Tim Patrick looked pretty great last year. Mm-hmm. Now, I see Tim Patrick as a filler on the outsides for uh, for Cortland when he needs a breather, for Emmanuel when he needs a breather. And I just don't see him profiling as that third guy No, on a consistent basis. He just doesn't fit as a third receiver. You know what's crazy? Are we just too confident in Cortland Sutton? Not and not not you and I and not BSN Broncos, but everyone. It is a given that he's a starter. It's a given he's at least the second. Heck, he said he's the first. He he said he's the he number did. one receiver. He did. What happened when he was the number one receiver last year, Henry? Tim Patrick outplayed him. Tim Patrick outplayed him. Deshaun Hamilton yeah. outplayed him. Every every receiver outplayed him. <sighs> I mean, should we be so confident as to just write him in as the as the one or two, um, while Deshaun outplayed him and while Tim Patrick profiles as that type of receiver? Remember when he caught that pass and got up and like spun the ball on the ground? Mm-hmm. That has stuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that was a play. I can't remember who he was playing against, but he boxes out the corner, catches a ball on the sideline, like twelve yards downfield, maybe mm-hmm. right around in that area. Mm-hmm. Gets tackled, gets up, then spins the ball on the ground. Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't a play that a number one receiver would be excited about. Exactly. Like, if you want to do that after you win a jump ball deep downfield, then right. go right ahead. Sure. And maybe this is a little silly for me to be holding on to it, but 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 I'm not... I, I, it, it concerns me. Right. And I think the hope for Cortland Sutton is that in this offense, he's going to get more opportunities to do what he does best. Right. And he's going to be put in a position where he has a mismatch which wasn't the case with Case Keenum. I mean, the only time he was using his size was on a play like that where he's boxing somebody out with it. There were very few jump balls. I mean, they have him running like little crossing routes, all this kind of stuff. And it's not that he's bad at doing those things. It's that that's not what gives him a mismatch. And so with Joe Flacco's arm, hopefully they'll just stretch the field and he'll get enough reps where he's just sprinting down the field Joe Flacco throws him a bomb and he jumps up and tries to catch it that that he can become somebody who's valuable cuz right now I feel like he's just kind just kind of another guy. He's a jag when when he's in that Case Keenum offense because they aren't giving him the mismatch. Right. And I think Joe Flacco is going to help him tremendously. I think Rich Gangarello is going to help him tremendously. So something that one of the players said this offseason that has really stuck with me is Rich Gangarello is going to get receivers open. Joe's going to be throwing to open receivers. And, and like we talked about yesterday, that's such a foreign concept it, since Peyton Manning left is like having easy passes, not putting everything on your quarterback. You, you don't have to have a, a Super Bowl Hall of Fame quarterback in order to make these passes. Yeah, and I'd love to be in the meeting rooms and hear smart football people explain what the difference is, like right. how they're going to... Was, was the problem before that they were they picked a guy they want to get open and then built the entire play around getting him open. Right. Like drawing players out of the direction. Like I don't understand how, I mean, it's, it seems like 31 NFL teams can just run plays 
passing plays <laughs> and a third of the time have a receiver wide open 10 right. yards downfield. Yep. But somehow the Broncos can't figure that out. <laughs> yeah. I, it just doesn't make sense to me. And the one out of every eight times a receiver's open, the quarterback misses it. Or oh the yeah. the offensive uh. line blows up and the quarterback is blown up before he can get the ball out. Or the receiver drops the pass. Yep. Oh. <laughs> yep. My goodness. So I'm not concerned about Cortland Sutton I'm not because he still put up 700 receiving yards last year with an inept offense with an inept quarterback so I'm not concerned about him but I think entering the season not during training camp because I know he can light up training camp but entering the season I think that's a very interesting underlying story especially with Emmanuel if if Emmanuel's not 100% come week one it's going to be very interesting to see and to see how defensive coordinators, especially earlier in the season, how they attack Cortland. If they say we're doing exactly what, what the teams did to you the final four weeks of last season, see if it works for, for them or not. So I think that's a very interesting thing. But no, I, I think I think Cortland's the one or the two, Deshaun's the three, and Tim Patrick is, he could kind of be a secret weapon for Rich Scangarello. Yeah, well, I mean, if Tim Patrick is backing up uh, Emmanuel Sanders and Cortland Sutton, if the Broncos decide to keep five receivers, is that fifth receiver a guy like River Craycraft, who's your route runner? Or or maybe you say Jake Butt goes right. out as our like number two slot guy. Right, exactly. and that's exactly the role that I see Jake Butt this year. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right, kind of being that shifty guy in the middle. Yeah. Being able to to find the hole in the defense, because the more I think about it, I just think Juwan Winfrey has a spot on this team with yeah. with how much John Elway and I mean, we found out Matt Russell really <laughs> loved him. I think I think Matt pounded the table for him in the draft. And I think he's going to pound the table for him to make the team. So then it makes it that much more important for who is that guy to be alongside with Deshaun slash be his backup kind of yeah and I mean going back to it I'm not, I'm not worried about Cortland Sutton either it'd be nice if he became a star this season but that probably isn't what's going to happen if he could get 800 900 yards he'd be well on his way to being a very good number one receiver in the NFL the thing is the Broncos have a lot of stock in a lot of young guys and if they're actually going to be a good team, a playoff team this year, they need Cortland Sutton to be better than a second-round pick in his second season. Exactly. If they're a playoff team this year, they need Bradley Chubb to take that next step, even though he had a great year last year. Yeah. And they need Cortland Sutton to take that next step, even though he had a very good year last year. So, Henry, I'll, f- I'll wrap up this conversation by asking you something I asked Ryan last week. Yardage-wise... What is a successful season for Corton Sutton? If he gets 850 yards, I don't want to hear anybody complain. <laughs> if he yeah. gets 750 to 800 yards, then uh, he's in good shape. It's, if he gets less than that, then I think it all depends on the eye test. It's exactly how I feel. If he's in the 800 range, a little bit of eye test going on there, but was he throwing the ball 150 times and only came away with that? <laughs> Probably not very good. Uh, if he's the the counted on number one receiver from week one, probably not very good. But 
if he's a number two, Emmanuel goes for over a thousand, uh, and you know Deshaun's at, at six seven hundred, very balanced offense. Then, then of course that's good. If he hits a thousand, doesn't matter how it happens, fantastic season. You're feeling great about where Cortland Sutton's going. If he's at seven hundred or below, it's it is concern. It is panic yeah. time. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I to me, it's not just about the total yards though. I want to see big plays. I want to see four, like four forty-yard catches, please. Something like that. Some when when we talk about Cortland Sutton and say that he he can be a decent receiver in a bunch of different ways, and his one advantage is that he should be a great, outstanding, even like superstar level jump ball guy. Mm-hmm. If if he isn't flashing that consistently. And producing with that, not just flashing it, but producing because of that, then that's where I start to get concerned. At one point in training camp, I, I promise you, he was like 95% jump ball guy. I yeah. mean, he was yeah. getting it every single time. I'm not even exaggerating when I say eight out of 10 times he was coming down with a jump ball, whether it was, you know, five yard little slant pass or whether it was. 45, 50, 60 yards down the field. However far Case Keenum could throw it. Because he's massive yep. and an athlete. Yep. And has incredible hands. Like that's that's who he is, but for some reason we only saw that what two, three times all of last season. Yep. Exactly. <sighs> exactly. So I think he's gonna be put in a in a much better position to succeed. Just like the entire Offense. Case yep. Keenum's probably going to be sitting there as the backup in Washington this year thinking, oh, come on. Come on. I mean, I know I wasn't very good last year, but I was given that offense, and now the Broncos have this offense Ugh. in this system, and, and they get to throw to open receivers. <laughs> this, this, just, this isn't fair for me. But I want to hear what you guys have to, th- have to say, so let's get to your questions and comments after this break. The Colorado Golf Association is dedicated to preserving, improving, and serving the game of golf here in Colorado. And right now they're conducting their annual Dream Golf Vacation Raffle. Ed May, Executive Director of the Colorado Golf Association, gave us some more info on what exactly you can win if you enter. We had six grand prizes this year and 40 plus other prizes. So the the big ticket items, so to speak, or the grand prizes are a trip to the BMW Championship, including VIP access, thanks to our partnership with BMW. Uh, We have a trip to Streamsong. We have a trip to Bandon Dunes. We have a trip to Sand Valley. And then we have what I think might be the coolest, a chance to take uh, a 7 Series BMW down to Telluride to play in a CGA-only event. The raffle tickets will go on sale on our website, coloradogolf.org. Tickets are $40, and you know all the proceeds from the raffle are going to support youth development in the state of Colorado. So you're making a great donation to a great cause, but you're also having a chance to uh, really have a fantastic dream golf vacation. For a chance to win, be sure to go to coloradogolfassociation.org. Welcome back to the BSM Broncos podcast on this summer full Tuesday. Zach and Henry rolling with you guys today. And let's get straight into the questions. First one coming in from Aaron, OG MVP Litvaski. He says, hey, thoughts on a recent article. I always like comparing your thoughts with others. I saw the Broncos with a top 15 pick for next year taking a safety I feel like we are already loaded in this position area. What would have to happen to get a safety, specifically Grant, 
Del Delpit from LSU. Yeah. So uh, let's start with the top fifteen pick. Mm-hmm. Can't complain. Really can't complain. There. Uh, they went from if they're like fifth pick last year, tenth pick this year. 15th pick next year seems reasonable. You're being too realistic, Henry. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're being too realistic. Like, I'm all in when Adam Rank says the Broncos at one point of the season are going to be 1-13 in or whatever it is. <laughs> just just like clicking the button saying, nope, nope, not a chance, nope. Yeah, yeah. give him some hate. But 15th yeah. pick, hope you hope for better, but that's pretty reasonable. What are we talking about? 7-9, and 8-8, eight and 9-7. Eight, yeah. yeah. Pro- probably not 9-7, right around 8-8. Eight and eight. Yeah, right around 8-8. Eight and eight. That's... When you're realistic about it, I don't think anyone can say this team can't go eight and eight. No. And no. I think if you're putting if you're being realistic and you're putting a range on on how you think the Broncos could do this year, I think you're not being realistic if you don't include eight and eight. Maybe maybe it's the bottom of your range. Maybe you think this team's a good team. Maybe you think they're a playoff team, but you probably say they're, you know, eight and eight to eleven and five or seven and nine to ten and six. Yeah. So yeah. I, I would agree. That's a good place to start. I think I think that's realistic. Um, I think safety is also realistic. Uh when you look at the contracts this year, so Justin Simmons, Will Parks, they're both expiring. Both those contracts are done at the end of the year. Uh, and they'll be unrestricted free agents. Sua Cravens will also be an unrestricted free agent. Um, they'll still have Kareem Jackson, but he's going to be I mean, who knows what he's going to be doing, but probably swinging back and forth between safety and corner. So in in theory, it could be wide open. It depends on how those guys play, not just if they play well enough to stick around, but if they both play really well, Will Parks and Justin Simmons, then maybe the Broncos won't pay both of them, and then there's room for a third safety to come in. I think think safety is 100% in play, especially when you remember that Kareem Jackson can play cornerback. And so if they do have too many safeties, you just throw... You just throw Kareem Jackson at cornerback, and then you're set. And people are probably saying, what? Just a few months ago, you guys were talking about how the Broncos cannot draft a safety and won't draft a safety high in this draft because they're loaded at the safety position, kind of like Aaron's saying. And that's true, but it all changes after this year. Just like yeah. just like you pointed out, so many guys are in the, their contract year. And while Will Parks was a starter for some of last year, he's probably not going to be the starter this year with Kareem Jackson out there. But you could easily lose those two guys after this year. Maybe maybe they both ball out. Then you'd probably keep one of them. Maybe both of them have a down year. Justin Simmons has a down year again. Will Parks doesn't fit with Fangio's system, which I don't expect to happen. You let them both walk. You say, okay, we're rolling with Kareem Jackson and we have a huge, huge hole. And I like the Bron. I love the Broncos' depth at safety. I mean, not just the- having Will Parks be your third guy, which I love, um, but Demonte Thomas, uh, Trey Marshall. I-, I love Jamal those guys. Carter's still there. Jamal right? Carter, yeah. exactly. Do I love those guys? If you let Will Parks and Justin Simmons walk, and then you have Kareem Jackson and one of these guys, no. I, I, I don't love him in that situation. And also, Kareem Jackson, he's going to be 32 years old next year. And that next year will be the last year of his deal that is guaranteed. The Broncos can move on from him after next year. So 
it makes a lot of sense. If you don't keep Justin Simmons around and you don't keep Will Parks around, or heck, you keep one of those guys around, it could be a perfect situation to go get your Derwin James, who went, what, 18? Yeah. And I think now it's it's a crime that he went 18th <laughs> overall. 100%. But it's a safety position. That can happen. A great player can fall to you at 15. So I think it makes a ton of sense. Let him groom alongside Kareem Jackson for a year. And then you feel great about having Derwin James going into year two. Yeah. So I had a friend uh, back when I was up in Montana covering Grizzlies football. She also covered the Grizzlies for the Missoulian. But halfway through the season, she took a job in Louisiana covering LSU football. That's kind of different. It's, it's a big step up. <laughs> it's a big step up for sure. But uh, when she moved down there, I started watching more of those games. I really like Grant Delpit. Mm. And I really like the idea of another great safety. I mean, because like you said, Derwin James, but there's also Jamal Adams and Malik Hooker. Right. And there's so many of these guys who come in and they're impact players. Like, they're they're game changers. Yep. They get the interceptions. They clean up the run game. They lay the big hits. Like, you, you can't – they can do everything on your defense now. That's what a good modern safety is. You put them up high. You put them in the box. And giving a guy like Vic Fangio that kind of weapon, uh, it just sounds so nice. Yeah, six foot three, two hundred and five pounds. Oh. He's he's built incredibly well. Uh, last year, uh, unanimous All American. Probably going to be that again this year. Uh, he's coming from safety. You uh, just like the Broncos went after Noah Fant from tight end. You this it makes so much sense. And I think that I, I really think that Vic Fangio is going to love that type of player as well. Versatile. It makes it makes a ton of sense, and for me personally, if you can get a stud at be, because it's not as sexy of a position, that's okay. And you know what, the Broncos said that this year too. Noah Fant, a tight end, yeah, in the, in the first round, yeah. But hey, if if he's a player, they they already locked up one of the most valuable positions in sports, and that's edge rusher. They have that locked up for the next few years. They don't they don't need that. Uh, if they're picking 15, they don't need a quarterback. No. So that, that'll be off the board. Um, tackle could be in there, but you know what, Henry? If you're picking at 15, you're getting Garrett Bowles at 15 as oh, a, ta- God. as a tackle. Please. No. I, I say stay away. Okay. And, and kind of, that's how I view <laughs> it. Do you, do you want a Garrett Bowles type player at a, at a position of value at 15? Or do you want huh. an absolute stud, whether it's safety, whether it's guard you could throw in there, yeah. whether it's interior defensive line? Give me the stud. Yeah, and you just named the three positions I'd be interested in. I think um, we talked a lot about the receivers, and if things don't go well there, then maybe you take a shot at LaVisca Chenault. Mm-hmm. Jerry Judy probably isn't falling that far, but that'd be a lot of fun. I know one guy that would absolutely <sighs> love that move. Yeah, yeah he would. <laughs> Oh, so would I. So would I. Uh-huh. LaVisca's going to be a man in the NFL. He just yeah. does so many different things. And he just he looks like he's an NFL player playing in college. <sighs> he does. He does. Because they just get him the ball in every way. They'll throw the ball da- downfield to him. They'll hand the ball off to him in the backfield. He'll line up his fullback. He'll yeah. line up his H-back. He'll line up at tight yeah. end. They'll put him in the slot. They put him at quarterback 
Like, yeah, I think I think like anything third and three or shorter, they just put him in the wildcat, have him run up the middle, and it's unstoppable. Man, think about that with Phil, with a Cortland Sutton if he's <sighs> developed with a Noah Fant. N- none of those things I just said are are you know long shots. No, and then Drew Locke. Oof. You have Drew Locke facilitating Ooh. all of it. Getting tingles just thinking about yeah. it. Yeah, but but going back to Grant Delpit, I mean. The Broncos have had so many great safeties that another one just seems like the right move. Like, it's the fit, if that makes sense. You know, I Darian Stewart and TJ Ward, obviously a great duo, but then you have Brian Dawkins and John Lynch and Steve Atwater and Dennis Smith and just all these guys that come in and they've just been game changers. And I could just see Grant Delpit fitting that mold so well. I can as well, 100%. So, I mean, we're probably giving people whiplash talking about safety in, in such a good light now. <laughs> but best case scenario for the Broncos, if, the, if they're at 15, is probably they don't need a safety. Is Justin Simmons takes that huge step this year where you're, you're like, okay, he had a good second season, a down third season, and the fourth season, it, this season is such a good year where you forget about last year. Yep. And then you're thinking, okay, Kareem Jackson, he was a stud too. We'll have him for two more years. Uh, and then, I mean, ideally, Will Parks also steps up and you're saying, okay, you lock Will, Will up for a deal now, and he'll be your second safety, and you have your safeties. Now, that's what the Broncos wanted when they drafted those two guys, and I think I think they're pretty satisfied with those two guys as a combination, especially with Will being a seventh-round pick. Uh, but you hope they don't need a safety. Yeah. But can can you say right now that you're you're super confident that they're not going to need a safety after this year? I you can't. Right. And and you look through the positions the Broncos on paper would be interested in. Obviously, safety's right up near the top of the list. Um, anywhere on the offensive line could be on the list. Uh, defensive linemen. Like inside guys, like you mentioned earlier, you you'd think they'd be interested in another pass rusher from there, uh, inside linebacker. But you can run through all those positions right. and say like maybe this year with Mike Munchak, the offensive line takes a step <laughs> forward. Right. Yeah. Then that's not a need. Right. And you could do the same thing defensive line. You have right. Shelby Harris, Adam Gotsis, maybe Derek Wolf takes another discount. Seems unlikely, but you never know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and so you have those guys there. Uh, inside linebacker, you could say Todd Davis and Josie Jewell lock it down. Maybe Zaire Anderson takes a step. You know, there's there's options all over the place. It kind of depends on how this year plays out. Right now, though, I'm not going to hate on a Grant Delpit pick. I think he'd be incredible in Denver. I I completely agree. He uh, he says also found it interesting they had Miami, Cincinnati, and Tampa picking quarterbacks. Actually, none of those teams is surprising to me. I mean, Miami with Josh Rosen, I think, here's how I feel about Josh Rosen. I I feel as bad for a guy as you can uh, that's getting paid millions of dollars to live in Scottsdale (laughs) and then go live in Miami. Yeah. Miami's owner this year admitted that they were going to tank for Tua this year. And that, that was before, you know, they hired Brian Flores, and that was before they, uh, they traded for Josh Rosen. But, I can just that team is bad. That it team is, bad is team. really bad. And I like Josh Rosen, but come on. He's he's in a position to fail just as bad as he as he was in a position to fail last year with the exactly. Cardinals. Exactly. Exactly. And I I don't see them being better than five wins. I mean, I could see them being the two and fourteen team that Adam Rank thinks the Broncos are going to be. And then what? 
are you going to stick with Josh Rosen or are you going to take are you going to take Tua? I mean, Josh Rosen's just in a bad situation. Yeah. He, I think I think he was my favorite quarterback coming out of the draft. I really liked him and Baker Mayfield. Yep. And then he goes to Arizona and doesn't really do much. Mm-hmm. And he didn't do much with no help at all. And yeah. so you, you have that little caveat. And so maybe there's still something in there. Plus, he's a rookie. It takes time to learn. All that kind of stuff. It's not over for Josh Rosen by any means. But then now he has to restart. And he's almost like a rookie again like you said, in an equally bad situation. And if he does nothing with no help again, I mean, I mean, what, what would Baker Mayfield have done with Arizona last year? Right. It would have been just a train wreck. Probably, probably. And maybe he makes a couple more plays, but yeah, he's just in a bad situation and I could see them taking a quarterback because after two bad years, even if he's having two bad years with no support, yeah, you got to look for somebody with a little more, buzz hype and what's going to invigorate a fan base more but they need all all they can get in miami uh taking a, a great left tackle with the first overall pick or taking Tua. to attack of aloha like how do, how do you pass that up and it's not just about invigorating the fan base it's the locker room too right if they see josh rosen is the guy that arizona dumped and now he's your 24 year old leading the organization yeah I'm, I, it's just a tough situation for everybody and starting actually fresh instead of just starting over half fresh with Josh Rosen is probably the right move. I completely agree. Cincinnati is just easy to me. It, they have Andy Dalton <sighs> going there. If they can get a quarterback, I don't know how they don't. It's tough for me because if I'm Cincinnati, I'm not even thinking about it. It's it's mm. so obvious that I am 100% drafting a quarterback and moving on from Andy right. Dalton. Yeah. But I would have said that every year for the last five years. It wasn't Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke. They were both sitting on the yeah. board when they were picking. Yeah. yeah. And so whether if, – if if I'm the Cincinnati Bengals, 100% I'm drafting a quarterback because yeah. I don't think you're winning a Super Bowl with Andy Dalton unless you have a spectacular defense and a mm-hmm. bunch of help around him. And that just is not viable. That's you, you can't have a quarterback who you think we need to support him. Sorry, Broncos fans. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I think you got to take the shot on getting a quarterback. They just have refused to for so long. In Tampa, I think it is going to be 100% clear, pretty, probably pretty early this season, but certainly by draft time next year, either Jameis is the guy under Bruce Arians and, and he, he straightens him out and makes him you know a potential MVP quarterback. He yep. can be that. He has all the tools. Or he can you know be maybe a backup somewhere in 2020 and Tampa is drafting a quarterback very early in the draft. Yeah, ag- agree there. I saw one of the NFL Network guys rank their top fantasy breakout projections mm. or something like that. And they had Jameis Winston, I think, number two with Kyler Murray, number three. Wow. And I was like, huh, wow, that's that's a lot of that's dra- a lot of hype. Who would you rather take, Jameis or Kyler in a fantasy draft? Kyler Murray. In a heartbeat, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, not, it's not a question. Like, fantasy is all about, like, getting the dual threat guys who can run and pass. And when you know that only one of those two guys can run and neither of them you know can pass – like it's yeah it's, there's uh there's just too many off the stuff field or uh, off the field issues yeah. with with Jameis as well which it which is scary and that was my first thought when you said maybe he could go be a backup somewhere i was like do you really want a backup right. who could get into trouble yep ah you, you know it's yep. 
it's definitely a big year for Jameis Winston, and I can't blame whoever made the mock draft for uh, saying that he the, the Bucks are going to replace him with a rookie. Yeah, I, com- I completely agree. So, Aaron, great question, and you definitely got your money's worth on, <laughs> on that question. We, we love that, though. Next one coming in from Lone Star Bronco. He says, I think the fondness for Owen Daniels stems from the two postseason touchdowns in the Super Bowl run when scoring touchdowns was almost impossible. Completely agree with you, Lone Star. Anytime you see an Owen Daniels Broncos highlight, it is those touchdowns in the playoffs. So I completely agree. He says, pump for a Madden tourney, even though upon dusting my Xbox controller off after my public callout of RK, I remembered I am awful at Madden. All fun and games as long as RK doesn't cheer after touchdown number eight, <laughs> right? You don't have to worry about eight touchdowns from RK. That's that's exactly how I feel. You may have to worry about eight coming in from Henry, but I think RK's just dusting off the controller just like you, Lone Star Bronco. So maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe that's a fair matchup, those two first. Yeah, yeah. We definitely need to make that Madden tourney happen, though. Oh, I'm in. And you know what? The... the the fantasy draft, having it in person is fantastic. I'm so pumped to be doing that. We're going to have, I think, a pretty decent turnout this year. Um, I love that the fantasy draft can be done online, and that's what's great about Madden. Anywhere yeah. around the world. Yeah. Anywhere I'm, I'm the world. down to play whenever. <laughs> um, but another thing, just a random thought. A couple weeks ago, we were doing those, like, uh, for $15, build your dream lineup. Right. I'm pumping them out of the Instagram account. We did the Nuggets one and realized that, I was talking with Brandon. We could have people actually draft their five guys and then go have a 2K tournament with those guys. Ooh. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? That'd That's be something. Awesome. Yeah. That would be something. Bringing the greats back? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm not sure if we'd have to, like, make those players ourselves or right. if somebody's already done it, but that would be a blast. If you're doing that, who's the highest rated nugget of all time? <sighs> We we did we had four. Yep. We went with uh, Nicole Jokic, yep. obviously. Uh, David Thompson. Okay. Alex English, and we put Melo up there. Mm. I mean, Melo has to be up there. He, he's a great player. I love Melo. It's just he's fallen off. Ten years from now, five ten years from now, people are going to forget about like the tail end of his career, and yeah. we can start to respect everything he did in Denver. Uh, the end of his career was sad. I don't know. It, it just feels like yeah. he, it still feels like he's not done. Yeah, because my favorite thing in the world was like to watch Carmelo Anthony play for the Nuggets. And then my favorite thing in the world was to boo him when he came back to Denver. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then he just kind of slowly fell off. And I was like, dude, yeah, this isn't how this was supposed to happen. Yeah. You're like hero. Then you're a villain. You aren't supposed to just fade away. Like there's supposed to be some great ending. It's crazy because he never lost his shot. He just got the tag of like. You are bad for teams. Yeah, you make he's teams an ISO lose. scorer, and now <laughs> yeah. the game's all about ball movement. It's the same thing. Like if Allen yep. Iverson were back today, like right. he'd still be a great player. Yep, but he'd just keep shooting forty-five percent. Yep, and being like you know average efficiency, but he could just carry an entire offense. Maybe we'll have you build an entire Broncos team on Madden. So much all the greats. It'd be so uh, oh, much man, fun. everyone in the trenches too. That, ah. that, that would be a blast. Uh, Lone Star Bronco continues and says, I've noticed the extremely high standards Denver has for even the latest of draft picks. Do y'all think this happens with every fan base, or does Denver just have high standards? That's a good question. I'm trying to think. I think it does happen to all fan bases. I, I remember talking to people from other fan bases who uh, 
have had some pretty outrageous takes about fifth and sixth mm-hmm. rounders. <laughs> but I, I think Denver's thing is the quarterbacks, obviously. Uh, especially, like, the depth guys. I remember I, uh, I really wanted the uh, Bradley Van Pelt jersey when I was a kid. And it's always been like the third quarterbacks get a lot of yep. hype in Denver. Yep. So I don't I don't think the optimism is just Denver, but I think that the specific areas where you see it most are. Sure. And yeah, I think this is the draft is the most optimistic time for every single fan base from your first round pick to your seventh round pick. Uh, I, maybe there is a little more with the later guys in Denver because typically the later guys have a, have a fairly good chance of making the roster. If you look back since John Elway started drafting, I think it maybe was his first or second draft where a seventh-round guy didn't make the roster. Since then, you're pretty much guaranteed to at least... I know David Williams didn't make the opening day roster, uh, but outside of that, you're making the roster if you're drafted by this team. Yeah, and I mean, David Williams didn't make the roster because Phil Lindsay had an incredible training camp in preseason. Yeah. And I think that... Also, people are get optimistic about certain positions. Like I said, quarterbacks, but I was thinking more, even just like recent recency bias toward positions the Broncos have been good at. And so like last year, Jeff Holland. Right. You see Jeff Holland come in and everybody says, oh yeah, he'll be just like Shaq Barrett. You just exactly. plug him in. He's going to fill that role. Or, you know, you know, he's going to become that kind of guy. And and when you have strengths like that, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, these guys are going to rub off on him and right. he's going to become special. Exactly, exactly. He goes on and says, if y'all could pick one position other than quarterback to greatly improve, what would it be? Not necessarily for wins and losses, but just more fun to watch. Mine would be a legit <laughs> return game again. I watched Trendon Holiday highlights today and think it would be fun to feel like any kick could be a touchdown. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's a good one. I think, I mean, what's more fun than a good kick returner? Yeah, like it's electric. My first thought was, uh, if you got a guy like Saquon, but then, mm-hmm. but then, like, is that so much better than Phil right. in terms of excitement? Right. I'm not sure. I think that you could probably do better somewhere else. Like, uh, like inside linebacker is probably an easy one. Just a guy who's gonna go in, beat guys up. Pick up, pick off a couple passes. Man, I was gonna go Antonio Brown. Get, get, give me, give me a receiver like Ooh. that. Just so, so dangerous and so fun. But then you got me thinking about Al Wilson on yeah. the inside. I, that was my oh. thought too. I just flashed back to that highlight against oh, the Raiders in the snow where he man. stuffs the guy in the. Oh. That would be that'd be fun. I don't think you can go wrong with either of those. No, I don't think so. An- another option would be like Aaron Donald. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean. Feels like it's cheating because he's the right. best football player alive <laughs> right. right now. Exactly. That's probably the best one for wins. That, yeah. That's for sure. He finishes up by saying, something that seems sad to me, Benny Fowler caught Hall of Fame Peyton Manning's last pass ever of all people. Well, Be- Benny has that and the Golden State Warriors dynasty to hang his hat on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... It it would have been cool to say like honestly it would have been cool if it was like Marvin Harris and Reggie Wayne Dallas Clark <laughs> right. if we're being totally honest right. but even like Demarius Thomas it would have been cool F- for Benny Fowler though like that's 
a pretty awesome thing oh to have. Oh my gosh, and so cool! Because what he's just been like a fringe NFL guy for yep. a while, and he's carved out a role as a special teams guy who can come in and play receiver when he needs to. Yep, e- exactly, exactly. So I mean, I don't think Peyton thinks about no, that. I don't think bummed so out. I think Peyton remembers throwing the the pass in the end zone in the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. Not necessarily yeah. that he's bummed out that it was to Benny. And Benny, I don't know. I, I respect guys like that who just like learn. They they find a niche. It isn't the flashiest job, but they right. accept it. And so it's. It, I I don't know. I'm happy for him to have that. Reminds me of uh, of Dakota Watson, who yes. this offseason yes. just said, "Look, I, I'm not bummed. I'm a special teams player. I've made tons of money." set myself up for life doing this for 10 years. I'm going to hold on to it and love the special teams role as much as I can. And if you're a guy that can embrace that and live it, oh boy, you're you're set for life. Yeah. Work for 10 years, set for life. Exactly. You just have to have the right attitude. E- exactly. All right, let's get to some more of your questions. But first, let me tell you about House Lift Colorado. Are you thinking about selling your house, but it's not in tip-top condition? How do you ensure you'll maximize your profit? If your house is in need of an upgrade, House Lift can assist in eliminating all of the stress of the remodeling process while matching the current trends that buyers most desire. And get this. There is zero upfront costs from you, the homeowner. That's right. You won't pay for any of the upfront costs for the remodel until the house closes. Houselift will handle everything from the contractors to the design while managing these costs. Here's what you need to do. Head to their website or Facebook page, both at Houselift Colorado, and check out the incredible remodels Houselift has done for homeowners here in the metro area. In past jobs, Houselift has put anywhere from fifteen to $60,000 more in their clients' pockets. Call 303-885-7888 today and find out what Houselift can do for you. Oh, if, you're, if you hire one of Houselift's preferred realtors, they will sell your home without charging a listing commission. All right, Henry. Let's hear from more of the people. This one coming in from Lindsay MVP 2020 it says, "Hi guys, can we can we talk about the kicking depth for a minute? Sorry, that stumbled me. I didn't a kicking depth for a minute. Of course we can." He says, "If Brandon McManus tore a hamstring mid game in Week One, touch wood, he does not. We did. Who would take the kicks for the remainder of the game?" Do, do the Broncos practice for this scenario? Similarly, if Colby Wadman was injured mid-game, who takes the punts? Do the Broncos keep any kicking and punting depth in the building aside from BMAC and Colby? Ah, uh, that's a that's an off-season question right there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it certainly <laughs> is. So, I mean, you have to think that Brandon McManus is filling in for Colby Wadman. Colby Wadman's filling in for Brandon McManus. That's that's the easy answer. Both guys probably, I mean, they definitely kicked on both sides in high school and may have even done that in college. Um, but here's something interesting. At training camp last summer, I remember seeing um, all the kickers. It, at that point, it was Marquette King with Brandon McManus and the other special teams guy, the snapper, uh, Casey Kreider. Yep. They were all out there trying to kick balls, punt balls onto the top of the video recording <laughs> stand. Yep. yep. So so that thing's what? Like 50 feet tall? Yep. So something right around that. Yep. It's it's a it's a big big thing. 
And there's probably like a 15 by 15 foot roof at the top. Max. Probably even smaller than that. Casey Kreider hit that thing first try. He <laughs> dropped a punt right on the top of it. He's a he's a tricky athlete because he hit a home run during he the did. home run contest. He uh, so he may, maybe he's your do it all guy. But then, you know what? You can't do that. Hmm. Who's your long snapper? Oh yeah, not Connor McGovern. What's exactly? What, yeah, what is, yeah. I don't know. Is kicker and punter for obviously very manageable things. Easier to replace than long snapper? Who? I don't I mean, there has to be somebody on the roster. Like, there has to be some tight end who was the long snapper at some point. Exactly. I'm, I, sh- I'm sure the Broncos have, have be. figured out who it is. I Honestly, the answer is they're not kicking a field goal unless it's right. inside, what, 35 yards? Right. And, and, and it's a bad situation. And you it's know, a if, bad it, if it's fourth and 17 and it's a 32-yard field goal, I don't even know if that's possible. Yeah, I guess it, well, uh, what you'd be no. at the yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess it could no no <laughs> <laughs> if you're in a, if you're in a really bad situation, then you'd probably bring out the field goal unit if you're you know thirty like you said thirty yards ish. But otherwise, fourth and seven, you're probably just going for it. Yeah, and you and Ryan were talking about on the pod last week maybe, but it, aren't the odds like almost always in your favor when you go for it on fourth and short? Right. And so, fourth and short, they're probably just going to go for it instead of punting if the punter's hurt. It, it, exactly. You're 100% you know? right. A very interesting thing about kicking and punting depth, though, is who do you trust more? Colby Wadman as a punter or Brandon McManus as a kicker, both in their natural positions? Who do you trust more? Brandon McManus. Easy, right? Yep. The Broncos brought in competition for him this offseason, not for Colby Wadman. The Broncos signed Taylor Bertolet, who uh, played in the AAF this year, struggled at the beginning of the season, uh, that then was solid. He's wearing number one, and uh, when he's out there, you're like, come on, this guy's not a football player. What, what's he doing? <laughs> he's five, listed at 5'9". Oh. He's probably oh, shorter than I am. I'm 5'8". So <laughs> he, he is... He's this tiny guy. He, he's built pretty thick, though, in, in a muscular way. And uh, he's done a lot of kicking this offseason. And I'll tell you what, he uh, is better the further he, he gets out. He can hit, he can bomb them. Oh. Now, does it matter? No, because I, I mean, what, what has to happen? for the Broncos to move on from Brandon McManus in the preseason in order or because of Taylor. I mean, he just has to tank. Like he has, he has to totally fall apart. And I mean, that happens to kickers sometimes. Like that's yeah. a pretty volatile position. I think that might be why they brought somebody in just in case that happens because I mean, you don't really hear about down years from punters because right. so much of that, like there's, there's just such a wide margin for error. Like you try to pin them between the numbers and the sideline every single time. But if you miss by a little bit, it probably isn't going to hurt you that bad. Whereas for kickers, there's it's it's like a it's zero sum. Like you make it or you miss it. And if he's just missing, then you you have to do something. Yeah, and it's it's just so interesting that Kobe Wadman is the guy that right now is the safest on the team. Yeah, he he and uh, he and Casey Kreider are the only ones without competition. And this is a guy who was on the street one year ago. 
It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. It, it shows you shows you Tom McMahon absolutely loves him. So another comment that got uh, got their money's worth today. Next one coming in from Mark S. He says, Aloha, guys. I haven't had a chance to post in a bit, but I just wanted to express my own personal feelings about Mr. Boland's passing. The late evening when the news broke, I saw it on Twitter and immediately felt surprised, relief, and sad all at once. Like most of us, I never met him or his family, but being familiar with people who've suffered neurogenerative diseases, both as the victims of the condition and their family, I could understand what he and the Bolins must have endured. I've been a Broncos fan here in Hawaii since I was a kid. It wasn't until becoming an adult that I start to appreciate what having a good owner meant to the team. I first found out Pat had friends in Hawaii when I discovered that one of my favorite restaurants is owned by a close personal friend of his. So hearing all these stories about how Pat would always take care of his players, especially when here in Hawaii, was so great. I loved hearing your guys' account about John sharing stories about that. Their Pro Bowl trips to Hawaii, eating at his restaurants, paddling canoes on the waves at the Outrigger Club, and playing golf at what I believe is the Waiali Country Club. The first... The finality of this week and the plans to scatter Pat's ashes off of Waikiki Beach makes me feel good for him and those close to him. Knowing that he will rest in peace in his paradise far away from home is a fitting way to say goodbye to one to a one-of-a-kind owner in person. Never in my life have I felt this connection to the Broncos as I do right now. He says, Mahalo, Niloa. Mr. Bolin, for everything you've done for Colorado, the Broncos, the NFL, and me. Mahalo, BSN, for being my eyes and ears up there and keeping me connected to my team all year round. Mark in Hawaii. Mark, I think that's a that's a very um, that's a it's a great comment and uh, and in a great way to celebrate uh, and to to think of Pat. Yeah, and I mean I I'm coming from kind of a similar place. He's talking about knowing people with a. Uh, uh, neurodegenerative diseases my grandpa was diagnosed with alzheimer's about the same time as pat and uh my grandpa was a big bronco my big broncos fan he uh like he had season tickets to the broncos for forever so when we come down to montana a couple times a year we'd go watch games like he was kind of the beginning of being denver sports fans in my family mm-hmm. and so it's been interesting to watch his condition as he kind of deteriorates and like starts out being like a little forgetful and then forgetting who people are and having trouble taking care of himself, watching that happen over the last, whatever, whatever it's been like seven years. It's been an interesting perspective when you're also hearing about Pat Bolin. Right. And like the last time Pat Bolin like comes out and makes public appearances and you kind of right. get those little bits like, yeah, his family's there. He most like stays at this house. And you're like, yeah, I could see that because that's right. similar to what's happening with my grandpa. And my grandpa actually died the day after Pat did. Holy uh, cow. Yeah. And so it's kind of been this weird trip going through all this and seeing what's happened with Pat and also following that through my grandpa at the same time. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm so sorry. That that is that that is crazy how close that experience has been for you yeah it's been really interesting and and like the comment said it there is a sense of relief though right. at the end because you see that it's just not 
he really is in a better place at this point. Right. And and yeah, I mean, since since you said it, that that's how I felt when I first heard the news. Kind of like Mark Mark said as well. Um, you're you're sad, but you're that that's what I thought was he's probably in a better place yeah. now. And in a way, it's probably easier at you know down the road for the family to know he's in a better place instead of just seeing the suffering on a daily basis. Yeah. And for me, like, cause it, this is my first grandparent I've lost. Uh, luckily, like I made it 22 years with right. all four grandparents, but uh, it, it, when, when he died, it wasn't like he just like died all of a sudden, like people often do. He's just been kind of like fading for a while. Right. And it's just been this weird slide almost. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, th- thanks for opening up. Is I mean, especially with the BSN community that we have a lot of people. I mean, Zach has reached out. We we've had a lot of people that have been so deeply connected to either this terrible disease or, or something like it. I think it's it's really and you know great things come from from sad times occasionally, and I think this is one of them j- just showing support for each other and especially th- those that that have been really con- affected by it yeah yeah it's been it's been nice to have that community around like that's one of the best parts about b s n is what we've built and the people who've been attracted to what we've built right so Henry, you know you have the whole b s n community <laughs> behind yeah. you right now yeah next one coming up from drew Chia. He said he gives us a name guide, which for any of those that are new subscribers, name guides, those are the pronunciation guides. Those go beyond even like serial talk on this podcast. So make sure if you have a a funky name or just a a name that's normal, make sure we know how to pronounce (laughs) it because we we want to be uh, pronouncing everyone's name right. So Drew Chia. Maybe, hopefully I got that right with the pronunciation guide. He says, I think I started listening to the pod right after the 2018 Senior Bowl trip. I finally subscribed during the competition between the pods and cashed in with the Purple Rain Rocky shirt that I love. And let me just point out, he said love in all capital letters. So if you don't have a shirt, get in. If you don't have a subscription, get in because for one price you get a subscription and any of the t-shirts that we have let me tell you i mean i don't know how they do it they just keep pumping out t-shirts i believe the tony the tony shirt tony two bags shipped yesterday tony two bags went out yesterday so make sure you get on subscribe support us and also help yourself out and then you can leave comments and then you can leave us your pronunciation guide He goes on and says, I'm a CSU guy and still live in Fort Collins and get a kick every time it gets mentioned and you point out anything Fort Collins to Ryan. I get the sense that you're just poking the bear and it makes me laugh. That's exactly what I'm doing. I got to bring up Fort Collins anytime I can to Ryan. It just, it makes him shift in his seat. I kid you not. He gets a little uncomfortable thinking about it. I just don't understand. Like, like, I understand the rivalry and like, you don't like the teams and like everything that comes with that. But like... The, the the town of Fort Collins is just a bad place. You know what the funny thing is, because I know a lot of people in Fort Collins. There's kind of that mm, squeamish feeling when you mention Boulder huh. to Fort Collins people, which huh. it, which is interesting, because I guess it does go beyond just the school itself. Yeah, and I mean, like I grew up in Columbia Falls, 
like right next to Whitefish, our rival, like small, mm-hmm. small towns in Montana. But Whitefish mm-hmm. was like a resort town. Columbia Falls was like more of a working class town. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, like we didn't like Whitefish, I guess. But at the same time, like I knew like, yeah, it's a pretty nice place. They've kind of got their uh, their stuff in order. Like right. they've, they've put together something. They've built something like it's yep. respectable. Whereas Columbia Falls is kind of just like jumping <laughs> on that path trying to get there. And like I don't have that same like rivalry like hate right but, uh, all right. these everybody there is bad right like, they just don't get it <laughs> yeah i don't i don't understand i think and, and i can never say this when ryan's around but i think it's expanded beyond the schools because neither of them have had a dominant consistent sports program no so, so it's like uh how, how do we bash on csu the football program when they've been bad for so long and you, you can say the same exact thing with cu fo- football yeah uh, just except they've for just been one bad year. at a higher level yeah it, exactly so it's like we, we i don't like cu or csu but i need to keep this going on let me just hate on the town but the funny thing is <laughs> i probably can't say this around ryan either the funny thing about boulder is it's so similar to Fort Collins in so many ways. They are so, so alike. Uh, Both outstanding outdoor towns. Both have a great brewery scene. Uh, Both are are great places to raise a family. Great places to go to college. There's, you know, great bars. They're really so unbelievably similar. Maybe maybe that's why they don't like each other. Like, ah, you're too much like me. Maybe. Especially I, because I don't you, you don't really hear those towns dislike Denver because Denver's just its own thing. Yeah, Denver, Denver's in it. It's like yeah, yeah. we can love Boulder well, and Denver. I wonder if like Raiders fans think, oh yeah, the city of Denver, it's just a terrible place. Right. Like I don't. Right. Does, does that translate there? Well, I'm trying to think vice versa, and it's easy to think like Oakland is a terrible yeah, place. I know that's <laughs> what I was thinking. I was like, but, but that's because it actually right. is. Right. Like it's not. It's not exactly I'm it. <laughs> uh, but like Kansas City. I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Like, I'd rather go to, like, right. New Orleans if I'm headed that right, way. Right, right. But at the same time, I'd be down to head yeah. out there and, like, get some barbecue yeah, and hang I don't, out. Exactly. I don't think of Kansas City and I'm like, ah, awful place. Hate it. Yeah. Where, you know, Oakland. Yeah, pr- pretty but much. But that's because it is an <laughs> awful place. Like, that's different. That doesn't even count. Right. Yeah, That that's interesting. That is interesting. We'll have to ask Ryan. Yeah. Why he hates Fort Collins. Yeah. I, I mean, there usually isn't a reason for this kind of stuff. <laughs> exactly. It just, it'll just be nice to point out that he isn't being reasonable. He goes on and says, Zach, if this is too personal, feel free to skip. Well, it's not because I read it. He said, where did you grow up in Denver? I grew up in the small town of Elizabeth, Colorado. And if you grew up in South Denver, I'm sure there was some overlap in our stomping grounds. I graduated high school in 2009, so I think I'm just one year older than you and Ryan. Yes, that, that would be correct. 2010 graduate class right here and uh, I wasn't that south of Denver I, w- I was I was in Denver itself just south Denver uh, if I am understanding right Elizabeth I think is pretty south of Denver I, I was just south no of Denver uh, yeah Elizabeth's a small town in Colorado been there or drove through it a few times at least um, so I was born and raised in the University of Denver area and then also happened to go to DU. So I've lived in so many places within like a three mile radius, whether it was living with buddies <laughs> in college, whether it was living in like one of the six houses I grew up living in. Uh, and now I'm probably just outside of that radius in, in Wash Park, pretty close to you, Henry. Yeah. yeah uh, we're, almost we're, on the way to downtown. We're sitting in my apartment in uh, Capitol Hill. Yep. And, uh, 
last summer when I was interning down here, I uh, had an apartment for three months just one block north of here. Mm. So I'm doing the same thing where yep. it's just like, this is my area. I've just been <laughs> hanging yep. out right here. And you know what? I don't know if you knew anything about Denver when you picked that apartment last year, but you picked a pretty darn good spot. Yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun. It worked I out actually, well. I actually walked across a triple stabbing on my way back from a Rockies game last summer, though. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, just blood everywhere. No. Just cops everywhere. Yeah, no, no way. I'm like, obviously, I'm a little bit buzzed. I was at a baseball oh, game. What? And I'm like walking back. And uh, there's a nightclub right around here that I guess yeah. gets pretty shady. Um, and I'm like just walking, and there's a car full of girls, and they're just screaming. I'm like, what is going on? Like, this isn't normal girl stuff. And I look up, and I was like, there's a bunch of flashing lights. Like, head up there. I'm a little buzzed, so I go talk to the cops. And I'm like, what happened? They're like, oh, yeah, triple stabbing. There's just like blood all over the sidewalk for like oh weeks before gosh. it like all faded. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I swear yeah, that this was area something. is good. Other than that though, other than the stabbings, it's a pretty great spot. Other than the stabbings, <laughs> it's a pretty great spot. Uh, <laughs> so make sure to avoid the area Henry said earlier. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, he has a question for you. He says, Henry, oh. I think you mentioned that you went to school in Montana. Did you grow up there as well? My dad has family in Kalispell, 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 yeah. and I haven't been able to visit the Treasure State yet, but it's definitely on my list. You seem to be fitting in great with the rest of the crew, and I don't know if the Broncos are stacked up, stacked at the tight end position, but BSN Denver is definitely stacked with Broncos pod members. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like to hear it. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I did grow up in Montana. Like I was saying earlier, I grew up in Columbia Falls, and there's Whitefish, which is like 10 or 15 minutes away. That's like the resort town with the mountains. Columbia Falls is right next to Glacier Park. It's like a 15, 20-minute drive into the national park. And then uh, Columbia Falls, Whitefish, and Kalispell all make like a triangle. So it's like 15 minutes between all of them. So I grew up in like right around that same spot. Pretty close. Yeah. And you really should go out there and visit. It's a really cool spot. Like if you like hiking or skiing or fishing, camping. I've never been drunk at a lake. (laughs) Yeah. I've never (laughs) been to Montana, but I can only imagine it's the second prettiest place outside of Colorado. (laughs) I mean, I haven't gotten up into like the mountains in Colorado, so I, I can't argue too much. But Glacier Park, like it just like when you go on Reddit. And there's like, what do they call it? There's the earth porn subreddit, I think it's called. (laughs) And just like great pictures of nature. Yeah. Like half of them are from Glacier Park. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I can't can't even imagine. I'll make my way up there someday. Okay. Yeah, let me know. I'll come with. He finishes and says, keep up the great work and thanks for the awesome pods day in and day out. Thank you, Drew. Chia, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. If not, send another pronunciation guide in. Uh, And final one here, Henry, coming in from Bronco Duck. He says, as soon as we drafted Noah Fant, I thought, wow, this tight end group has a ton of potential. While Noah Fant is on his rookie deal, it makes a ton of sense to lock up but to a deal, health pending. As you guys said, the Broncos have been extremely patient with him. I think he'd be willing to listen for a reasonable offer. But Fumagalli and Hireman could be solid, just don't think they will have the ceiling of Fant. I'll be curious to see this offseason with Flacco steering the ship. He loves his tight ends. What are the odds we have two tight ends with 600 yards this year? They aren't good. (laughs) (laughs) To to be be frank and honest, exactly. We will start there. Um, I mean... (sighs) You know why they they won't be good? The last time the Broncos truly had a... Put this in quotes. A dynamic duo... Yeah. at the tight end position was Jacob Tammy and Joel oh, Dreesen. Yeah. And even then you didn't. But you had Joel Dreesen had 356 receiving yards. This is back in 2012. 
Peyton Manning's first year with the team. So Joel Dreesen, 356 yards, and Jacob Tammy had 550. That's, you know, two tight Hey, that's more than the Broncos have had for with one tight end. Even with Joel Dreesen at 350, it's more than they've had with one tight end since, yeah, since go back to Owen Daniels in 2015. And then Julius Thomas did it uh, those two years he was here, but it was just one guy then, one guy each year. So to ask for two guys to have 600, I think it's a little crazy. Yeah, that's definitely crazy. I mean, when's the last time that even happened? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. There, there were 11 tight ends who got 600 yards last year. And to have two that's on the a, same team? That's... Especially a team yeah. that hasn't had an offense for a few years. Like, right. that's the goal. That's the goal with this group is yep. for two years from now, three years from now, to have a couple of guys who can both be 600-yard tight ends, but that won't happen this year. Henry, I can't believe I'm saying this, but the Broncos hope to get the Jacob Tammy-Joel Dreesen combo this year at tight end, which, wow. it, which, which is wild. Yeah. If you can get one guy at 600 yards, let, let's start there. Because if you have one guy at 600, you're feeling really good about this. And it should be Noah fan. If you can get Jake Butt to 350, okay, now we're talking. Now, now we're talking 600, two 600-yard guys next year. Yeah, and I'm looking through here, looking at all the tight end numbers from last year. I mean, I don't think there was a group that had – 300 yards each wow like two guys of 300 no wow i mean it it takes a lot like we talk about the rob gronkowski aaron hernandez era oh philadelphia had two dallas okay. goddard was the number two okay. with 334 yeah there you go yeah there's your one that makes but, sense but uh yeah it really like it just doesn't happen that often no. that's why it's so memorable no. that's why people still talk about aaron hernandez despite right. all of the awful things that happened yep. because if there was another example for a pair of great tight ends i promise you that's what we would have gone with yesterday <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly and speaking of yesterday and speaking of tight ends i can't believe we're wrapping this up ah, talking yeah. about what we talked about for 45 so minutes yesterday and thank you guys for rolling with us for a second straight day we'll be back with you tomorrow same time same place same two guys rolling with you. I can't wait. Henry, it's been a blast again. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. It's Allie and Lindsay here, and we want to talk to you about our new favorite wine subscription. It is Winester. The best thing about Winester is that they work with small wineries. You know BSN loves supporting small local businesses, and Winester is just that, supporting real people making real wine. These guys will curate a hand-picked shipment for you from the best small wine producers in the U.S., 
So my favorite part about Weinster is the fact that I don't really know much about wine, and when I go to a liquor store, I tend to gravitate towards the same wine I've always had instead of trying something new. But with Weinster, they make the process so easy. That's exactly right, Allie. And from my perspective, you guys, I love wine and have tried so many different types of wine at different price points. And Weinster is not only easy, but it is quite literally some of the best wine I've ever tasted, and it makes for an amazing gift. What's also ideal about Weinster is that you can pick your shipments based on your schedule. That's right, Allie. So whether you're a casual drinker or you love hosting parties, you can get your shipment based on your lifestyle. So head to their website today, you guys. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R, Weinster.com. We've got BSN25 promo code for you, and you can save $25 off your first order. Game, it just made me feel alive. 